Man, this is Deion Dawkins, man, and you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already should know. Welcome back to the Scoop, AlScoop.com's podcast. This is season seven, episode 14. I'm John DiCarlo and Kyle Gauss and Dante Colinelli are with me once again. Sam Cohn will be with us a little bit later on to talk to you about Temple's season opener against Maryland Eastern Shore, talking hoops. Got some hoops mailbag questions. Kyle, Dante, what's going on? It's been a a tumultuous week in Temple Athletics is what I'll say. (laughs) Tumultuous Month, season, yeah. quarter, fiscal year. <laughs> it's a lot. It's covering a lot. Yeah. Things are uh, better than that. Things have been good. Uh, you know, the weather's been nice. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been an interesting time. Warmed up over the past couple of days. Yeah, I don't like that. I, like, I want consistency. Once it decides to be cold, I want it to be cold. Yeah, I want it to be Like, cold. I hate this, like, random, like, oh, it's November 15th and it's 71 <laughs> degrees today. Yeah, no. I don't like that. No, give me the cold. Give me the briskness in the air. Some uh, that smell of uh, of burning wood outside. Some some fire fireplace weather. Some soup. Yeah, weather. Keep, I'm, I'm keep debating whether or not I'm going to get a fire pit for the backyard. I'm debating whether or not I want to do like a wood, like I did my old house. But then that's more work. Or do I just get like a gas fire pit? It's it's, it's where the fork where I split in the season. <laughs> fork in the season. Does Kyle go propane? Does Kyle go wood? Do a cost benefit analysis later on. Well, but cost benefit not, wise, it's wood. It's just a piece of metal. Yeah. <laughs> you burn the wood. <laughs> well, I mean, is it is it? Do you go propane once every? You know, how often are you buying propane versus buying cords of wood? Cinch dot com. You get the propane delivered directly to your house. First cinch is uh, only ten dollars. Go to cinch dot com backslash alscoop dot com presents the podcast called <laughs> the Scoop. Tell my cincha. <laughs> Cinch is a great, great product. They just deliver the propane to your house. You don't got to go to like a Walgreens in North Philly anymore to get propane. Well, they're not sponsors on the scoop, but they just got a free ad. I've said that in the past that we should just like make up sponsors. Like just like, oh yeah, like Sid Booker's Shrimp Place at Broad and whatever. Like it's a sponsor. (laughs) People go there and like, yo man, I showed up. There was not a shrimp place there. Like, oh. Yeah, there is. Sid Booker's Shrimp. Have you even been there? You, you would recognize it. Sid Booker Shrimp is like close to Oh, it's a real place. Oh, it's a real place. Oh, I thought you were making up a place. I thought you were. No, it's a real place. You when drive you said by. Make up, when you said make up sponsors, I thought you were making up the thing. No, I meant to make up that they sponsor us. It's like Broad and Cortland. As you drive by it, you'll see this like double decker, like pink building. And they oh, just like, yeah, yeah, they have like yeah. these gigantic, like, we endorse this guy for councilman. And underneath, they'll be like, Shrimp Basket Special, four ninety nine. It's phenomenal. I wish I had a shrimp basket right now. I'd kill for, yeah. If you could Good. be eating, if you could be eating one type of food right now as we do this podcast what would you want john we're, we're grown men you can just go get whatever food you want like just, i don't, I don't think i understand the question <laughs> like a I mean, genius like, to come to you to yes, grant the idea for you to have a, little, a minor trip. wish kyle i'm going to drop a little a more minor soul. wish genie like yes. it's, it's a genie like, that yes, can do anything he can do anything you want as long as it's underneath like a monetary value of like 1999 <laughs> yeah, it's a minor wish genie how you doing I hope as long as you're not too busy, 
I have a few. Yeah, look, man, like my, my turnaround time is like seven to 10 business days. So like, <laughs> I hope you only, if you need more, I would suggest Amazon, but otherwise I'm your guy. Dante's looking at us like we're nuts. <laughs> what do you, what, what would you want? What would you want minor wish genie to bring you right now? Oh, I can go for some, like some really good fries right now. Like That's I good. feel like I haven't had really good fries in a long time. I probably haven't either actually. Now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Cause last time, last, this might be a sin. Last time I went to Chick-fil-A, I got soup instead of fries. That is like, I mean, I I know that this is the Al Soup podcast, but you know, like that's that's a little bit too much. Who gets soup? Who gets? Watch my figure. I kind of ballooned up five or six pounds, so I'm trying to you know. Watch my figure. Tighten, just tighten tighten it up. (laughs) Step on a scale, subtract thirty pounds, and then weigh that. Yeah. Who gets? You know, if I ordered soup, it was pretty good. It was like a chicken tortilla, so it was like a chicken incorporated soup. Like there was chicken in it. (laughs) If we were on a if we were on a road trip. If and we were on a road trip, you would have gotten like, a, oh, wow, Chick-fil-A has clam chowder and you would get clam chowder <laughs> and then you would have blown your like your pants out like 45 oh, minutes later. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I'm an hour behind my ETA of showing up at the Temple Towson game because somebody had to pull over at the random Maryland house place to just destroy a toilet. And now here we are. There's a Bojangles there. Of course, I'm going to go to the Bojangles. And now the whole trip's derailed. <laughs> Anything I'm else you'd like to talk time. about? I'm guessing this is a, a real thing that happened. No, no I mean no. it's like a pie combination of 45 different stories. <laughs> <laughs> I have a no. fantastic one, which John will get mad at me if I tell him the scoop. So we'll, we'll, tell, it off. we'll tell it off the scoop. <laughs> tell it off the scoop. Um, all right, so Kyle would have Chick Fil A soup, and Dante would have fries. No, we can just get into Temple Athletics at this point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Uh, as Kyle said, it's been a not good stretch. Just keeps getting worse for this Temple football program. The Owls, unless you're living under a rock, you know that they lost 45 to three at East Carolina on Saturday. Once again, they just they weren't competitive. Bad football game, and uh, now Temple has lost Jaden Blue to the transfer portal. He announced today. We're recording on a Wednesday, so announced on Twitter, announced on Instagram. So. They will be without Jaden Blue for all oh, the rest of the season and forever, I suppose. So um, we'll, we'll t- talk about that. Well, I mean, Dante, is he coming around? Yeah, no, what, just... what if they hire Baden Blue as the next coach and his son comes <laughs> back? Like, it was just a funny way of phrasing it. It's like forever. They will be with without him for forever. the week, <laughs> the season. <laughs> forever. Um, but, I mean, we'll, we'll start with that, get into the, the ugliness that was the ECU loss. We'll preview – uh, this uh, game they have coming up on Saturday against against Houston, which uh, certainly looks like another loss. Uh, we'll play a quote for you from Kobe Wilson from uh, media availability from this week and uh, some stuff to come up there, of course, with football. But I mean, it, we're, we're not surprised about Jaden Blue hitting the transfer portal, certainly had not played well. And his, his play has regressed, whether that's due to himself, due to coaching, due to the offense, all sorts of stuff. I, I think the most significant thing about it is that, uh, and we've talked about this, I think, before, Jaden Blue was one of the guys who was initially singing the praises of this staff. Uh, he left the team, quit the team when Jeff Collins was around. And so when Rod Carey and his staff got to Temple uh, three seasons ago, they essentially re-recruited Jaden to join the team. And he's always been really positive about the staff. And, uh, you know, in his message today, he was he was classy and thanked the coaches, thanked the community and all sorts of stuff. But um, 
you know, never a good thing when even statistically, even though he hasn't been playing well and he had a drop, I mean, there was a, a pass that was thrown right at his hands last Saturday. So he has regressed, but here's a guy that's leaving again and a guy who really had been endorsing this current staff, but uh, is choosing to leave with a few games left on the schedule. So um, no, it sounds like the obvious question, but what do you guys make of this? Um, I mean, I'll purpose this by saying, I think this is going to be Jaden Blue's last season at Temple, regardless of what happened. I think um, him coming back this season was quote unquote a win uh, because it happened with Dwan Mathis coming here and that, that kind of calmed the waters a bit enough for him to come back. I think ideally he would have liked to have a 1400 yard season and declared for the NFL and been a third, fourth, fifth round pick. It didn't happen that way. It didn't happen the way, whether it's via yeah, scheme, whether it's via him to be quite frankly, looking like he's checked out at times, like whatever it might be, it didn't happen that way. I think this is going to serve as fodder to the people that are being like, well, why haven't you fired Ron Carey yet? Because while it might not apply to Jaden Blue's situation, since like I said, I think he was gone either way, it could apply to other people's situation. The longer this kind of stretches out without there being resolution one way or the other, whether that's an affirmation of a reaffirmation of Rod Carey's job status or a 11 a.m. on a Sunday news dump of saying, hey, Temple's part way with Rod Carey, the longer this stretches out, the more likely you're going to get players that have to kind of make decisions with incomplete data. Um, so not a good look for Temple. I don't think football-wise it really matters that much for the season. I don't think it mattered that Jaden Blue was going to play this weekend or not. Uh, unless all of a sudden he can play defensive line and actually get pressure. Um, I don't think it's going to matter because I think, I think Houston is going to drop 55, 60 on them. So I don't think it matters from an actual football perspective. From an optics perspective, it's never great when somebody's four catches away from becoming your all-time leading catcher. Yeah. And you, it just decides to leave. Like he could just play one more game, gotten the record and left, and instead it just became a, I'm out. Dante, yeah, I agree with I agree with everything Kyle just said. Uh, this was not remotely surprising. And I think that – you know, a lot of people have like been quote tweeting the the tweet that was sent out that he is transferring, being like, you know, fire Rod Carey, and you know, oh, you know, this is all the coaching staff's fault. Uh, not only did Jaden Blue like sing their praises, but like they've con- they've continued to feed him targets this season uh, when he's been like objectively bad. Like I like I don't really know how to better phrase that. Like he has not been good. He has not produced explosive plays. He's dropped easy passes. Um, he's been tackled around the line of scrimmage like a ton on those jet sweep passes that they like to do. Like he just hasn't been able to create for himself. Uh, and John and I were talking about this earlier. And like every time I saw Jaden Blue get a jet sweep pass, my immediate thought was, why is that not a Mod Anderson? You know, it's just like that was like my immediate thought. So uh, from a football perspective, like I don't know if you can really hate on the coaching staff for this one specifically. I think Jaden was either going to go to the NFL or transfer anyway. I don't think that this is, you know, really an indictment on Kerry and that staff. I just think that sometimes things just aren't clicking for guys in certain places. Um, You know, they tried, they fed him targets. He's third on the team in catches and he's averaging like, I think it's like 6.75 yards per catch, which is like dreadful. Um, It's actually the team's leading receiver, right? In catches, yeah. In receptions, yeah. And, and like again, like I they're feeding him touches and he's not producing. So like I don't I don't even know if it's fair to, you know, even blame the coaching staff for this at all. Like I, I don't know what else they possibly could have done. It's not like he was benched. I mean, it even took them way too long to remove him as a punt returner for Ahmad Anderson, too. Like they they let him, you know stay back there a couple of weeks, even though it was very clear that that was not his thing. Like he shouldn't be back there. So um, 
you know, Jaden had a good year here where he went over a thousand yards and he's, you know, he was productive in a short season last year, uh, even if he regressed a little bit last year too. So I don't think this was a surprise and I, I don't think it's as big of a deal as maybe everyone is making it. I think we'll probably see players leave regardless of what happens with the coaching staff this year. So, yeah, I, I've been kind of just striking my brain even before this about like what happened to Jaden blue. Um, I think a lot of it, honestly, is you went from a situation in 2019 where you had Brandon Mack and Isaiah Wright and Kenny Yaboa, and you, not to discredit the fact that he was Temple's first 1,000-yard receiver, he was opposing the defensive coordinator's third or fourth problem on that offense. Now, fast forward two more years, you have Randall Jones, who's been in and out of the injury tent, missed two and a half games this year. He's better when Randall Blue, when Randall Jones plays. Like it's you can see, like it's easier for to get him the ball when Randall Jones plays. But like he has just not been able to kind of take over. Well, now I'm facing schemes that are meant to take me out of this game when it comes to passing. So I just don't think he ever really progressed past the 2019 season, and he just benefited from that 2019 season of just being able to kind of fly under the radar. Yeah. So we'll see if uh, if there are more. I don't know there are more defections in the portal to follow depending on how the rest of the season goes. Uh, again, we'll kind of briefly recap everything that went wrong uh, this past Saturday. And again, nothing went right for Temple in a 45, 45 to three loss, another scoreless first quarter. Temple didn't get their three points until the fourth quarter. So again, this was never competitive. Um, you know, just again, they've been banged up, but again, 45 to three to ECU. Uh, a lot of records were, were set in this game, not of the not of the good kind. Again, it sounds like the easiest question to to tee up. But what do you guys think of of Saturday when you were watching? I mean, they just I, they don't do anything well. Like I like I feel like I said that after the Central Florida game. Running too, out of things like, to say about this team. I, I'm not, and I I kind of wrote that even in the IA. I was like, there's nothing that I can say at this point that that hasn't already been said about why this team is struggling. Like. You know, they don't block anyone. They don't tackle anybody. Uh, they blew three coverages for big for big touchdowns. Dudes were wide open. MJ Griffin let a guy run right by him. Uh, Amir Tyler had a mix up with, I, I, I'm guessing that was Palmer at that point in the game, the second touchdown on the play action wheel route. You know, it was like fourth and 16. They dropped nine into coverage and give up 17 yards or whatever. And then it was like 15 and they gave up 16 yards. Like, I, like, you know, like you drop nine and you can't prevent them from getting 15 yards. Like, you know, I, I don't even know what else to say at that point, you know, and, and ECU is like a good team. Like they're definitely a team that like has some good players and, and they're not bad or anything, but you know, Temple should at least look like they belong on the same field as that ECU program, uh, regardless of where they're at. And ECU just looked like that, you know, they were a power five school and temple was in the FCS like that. That's really what it looked like watching the game. Like it was brutal. They were getting abused up front, uh, both sides of the trenches guys weren't lining up, giving up easy touchdowns late in the game. Like I, I don't even know what else to say. Uh, you know, can't protect the quarterback. Dwan Mathis goes down again. I uh, looked like they were trying to push the ball down the field a little bit more, but nobody was open. I, Justin Lynch comes in. He's six for 20 for like 28 pass or 20 passing yards or whatever it was. He rushes for like a, a little over 50 yards. He's the second leading rusher on the team. He's a backup quarterback who doesn't play a ton. Uh, like I know he's a, a rushing player, but like 
him being your second leading rusher is not good. Um, your leading rusher has barely over 200 yards this year. Like, I don't even know like where we go from here talking about this team. It's just like, they're not good at anything. I, there's not a lot of bright spots. There's some young players on the defense who seem like maybe they'll be okay if they stick around for a couple of years, but offensively, I don't really think there's any positives. We don't know if Dwan's going to play this weekend. It might be Justin Lynch again. He looked brutal against ECU. Like, I don't know what else to say. I, I really don't. John, do you know who the ink spots are? The what? John, that's more of a question than John. I know Dante's not going to know. The ink spots, they were like a jazz band from the 30s and 40s. Yeah, I, mean, I never got a chance to see them live. But, they had uh... a song called <laughs> It's All Over But The Crying. That's what all this shit is. Like, it's What made you reach back for that? It's just a good song. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's all over but the crying. Like, this, it was, it's bad football. It's boring football, especially on offense. Like, it's really boring football. They don't have an identity. They try to be this identity where they, hey, we're going to get our guys in motion. We're, we have Jaden Blue. We have Randall Jones. We have Amon Anderson. We're going to take advantage of it. That novelty is worn off. People are sniffing that out right away. They haven't had a successful little, like, fake jet sweep uh, toss pass since the Amadi Anderson touchdown against Memphis. It's just boring football. And it's the same thing we talk about every week where the second anything goes wrong with this team, They're it's done. over. It's yeah. completely done. Like it, they crumble, whether that's just being like a, a defeatist mentality of like, oh, it's happening again. Let's just keep letting it happen. They decide to become Eeyores instead of winning the poos. Like it's still, <laughs> they just completely crumble. So like, I guess if you're an optimist, you go, well, they forced two turnovers. You know, Freddie Johnson and Jalen Ware had two interceptions. They, it's the first time since 2004 that they forced two turnovers, didn't turn over the ball themselves, and they still lost. And they lost by 40. So, like, it's it's just incredibly bad football. It's almost become, like, it's predictable, obviously. Like, they're going to lose by a crap ton on Saturday, and I'm going to get another stupid tweet from John Rothstein, and I'm going to take another, another shot at John Rothstein, and I'm going to get my 60 likes, and I'm going to go to bed, and I'm going to wake up, and it's going to be the same narrative it always is. So we can break down the X's and O's in the ECU Temple game as much as we want, but, like, what are we doing? It's just the same stuff. Something needs to change. Something's going to have to change. Uh, before we get to previewing Houston, which again is what's the, what's the spread in that game? 24, 25. I think they're 25 point dogs at home. That seems it's a uh, double header though. An old school temple double header. Yes. It seems, uh, it seems a little low. I'm not going to lie. It does I, seem more I will be yeah. there for the basketball game. We'll not be there for the football game, but I'll, I'll be at the league course center. 20, 24. Yeah. I'm uh Hate to pile it on, but I respecting the subscribers to Alscoop.com, we'll be doing the doubleheader. <laughs> For my first appearance in a while. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, before we get to talking about how horribly mismatched Temple is going to be against Houston, one of the interesting remarks to come out of player availability yesterday. If you check out our story from Javon Edmonds from yesterday's uh Again, player availability story. Uh, Kobe Wilson was one of the guys that spoke. It was Jalen Ware, Kobe Wilson, and Jacoby Sharp were made available to reporters. And uh, Kobe Wilson had this to say, you know, just when he was talking about, you know, how these guys hold it together at this point. Um, And you'll hear him say here that I know these guys want to win. They hate losing. But he didn't stop there, and he made an interesting remark about uh, finger pointing. So here's what Kobe Wilson had to say when it came to that. Well, these guys, I know these guys want to win, man. These guys hate losing, even though sometimes it may not show. But these guys, they're, 
they want to point fingers at certain things, certain people, certain coaches. Like we can't, we can't do that. And I tell them that all the time. Like we got to look at ourselves, man. If we keep pointing fingers all around, we're eventually going to be the problem, man. So we just got to. I told them we got to take account, and we got to hold ourselves accountable, and just just keep going, man. Because they got to see things through. We still got three games left. We can make a pull. We went out right now, and these guys they're still pushing. We had a, a players only meet another day. And these guys said they're all in, and they're, they're willing to go there all for these last three games, no matter what happens. All right, so what do you guys make of this? When, when Kobe Wilson says they want to point fingers at certain things and certain coaches, and we can't do that, we have to hold ourselves accountable. So he's talking about this players-only meeting that they had. Um, you know, obviously, as reporters, we can ask questions. We're not embedded in that locker room. But I, when you guys hear that and you see that quote, what's the first thing that goes through your mind when you hear – Kobe Wilson saying that I I think it's like what you expect to hear from a player at least that's what I expect to hear from a player uh, is that you know they have to hold themselves accountable Um, I I do think it's funny that they had a players only meeting after the the fourth blowout you know what I mean (laughs) you know like where we know of who knows if there were ones right like maybe they had another one but like as far as we know right it was like the fourth blowout is where we draw the line but um (laughs) I, I like that's what I expected it just you know, it is interesting that Kobe's like a rod recruit, right? So like maybe he doesn't want to, you know, uh, take shots at the coaching staff. But like, honestly, like that's kind of where I came down on is like, that's what players are going to say. They're going to say it's on us and we talked amongst ourselves and we're going to do better. So it is interesting that they had a players only meeting. I'd be interested to know who were the leaders of that meeting as far as, you know, um, you know, who was kind of leading the charge on that one, because I think that there are some players who are younger on this team who have a loud voice. Kobe's one of them. Um, but I, I don't know. For me, I, I don't think it was like that big of a thing. I don't know. Yeah. That, that's just my interpretation of it. Yeah, we talk about coach speak a lot, right? I mean, player speaks, I think, too. Like, it's few and far between that you see somebody. It's like, wow, that completely came out of left field. They're really being honest here. Like, I think if you had laid out the script of they had just gotten four blowouts and now they're three and six, and you would say, okay, they're probably going to call a player meeting at some point. I do think, yeah, that it's newsworthy that it's a freshman linebacker instead of maybe a junior captain or something like that. But I think it's more of a, honestly, I think if they're being honest with themselves, it's more of a players meeting only, players only meeting for the future than it is for this season. Hey, we need to rally together. Hey, there's still a reason we chose Temple. Hey, let's see this through and trust the administration and blah, blah, blah rather than it being, well, we got to get together and really hammer Houston. Yeah. It's kind of my interpretation. I mean, I just think it's interesting to hear him say they want to point the fingers at certain coaches. And, of course, you naturally wonder who's pointing the fingers at coaches and who in that room is saying, no, it's on us. But, again, that's why – Completely hypothesizing. If I was – I would assume it's somebody on the offense. I would assume it's someone talking about we don't take chances on offense anymore. We don't go deep. We don't do ball. Mm -hmm. We don't get protection. Yeah. Um, Maybe – yeah. Yeah, that's fine. So, yeah, and again, as we've talked about a million times before, when you're winning, you know, people can still be upset, but everybody shuts up because you're winning. But when you're losing like this, all sorts of stuff comes out in the wash. So, you know, again, they're facing an eight and one Houston team at noon on Saturday at Lincoln Financial Field. Dante, once again, handling the preview for us. Uh, I mean, there are problems for the Hells on on you know, on, on both sides of the ball here, a good running backs, a good quarterback and Clayton tune. Uh, 
Nathaniel Dell. Uh, I, I just, I'm just looking up and down the, the roster here. Obviously, Alton McCaskill is going to be a problem for him. He's already scored 12 touchdowns. Uh, Tazon Henry isn't going to be a treat for them either. I, I, Dante, I don't see a single favorable matchup in this game for Temple. I'm trying to just rack my brain here and think, well, maybe you need to see this. You need to see that. Obviously, the, I mean, the most obvious thing you can point to is, you know, if DeJuan Mathis doesn't play and, uh, you know, we don't have a definitive word on that. If Justin Lynch plays, you, you set your eyes to him and say, okay, did he fare well against Houston here? Did he not go six for 20 again? Uh, are we in the situation where we're just covering this team and saying you're looking for, for signs of progress and guys that could, could, you know, have something to build on for next year, but I'm just, uh, I don't know. This just looks ugly. Yeah, it is. Um, I did have a ton of fun scouting Houston, though. I'm not going to lie. Uh, fun football team, ton of really, really good playmakers on both sides of the ball. But I'm with you, John. Like, I, I don't think that there is a single matchup that is favorable to Temple. Uh, Houston's defensive line is just filled with three monsters, uh, and Temple's offensive line has been brutal this year. I mean, like, obviously that's headlined by, like, Logan Hall. He's, like, a potential NFL guy. I mean, they have, like, 25.5 tackles for loss this season. Just between Logan Hall, DeAnthony Jones, and David – oh, my God, I'm going to butcher that. I'm not even going to try. But the, the, that's their, like, three top defensive linemen, 25.5 tackles for loss. Hall has 9.5 by himself. I mean, like, they're just monsters. They have – 69 tackles for a loss this year as a team. Their linebackers are really instinctive. They come downhill. They're very disruptive. Uh, Temple might be starting Wisdom Corshi and Rich Rodriguez again. I, I don't know how good those guys have been this year. So, like, that's obviously a problem. Uh, Clayton Toon's having the best year of his career. I didn't realize this. He's, like, low-key been their starter since, like, the back half of the 2018 season. Like, I, I really didn't realize that he's been the guy this long. Uh, De'Ara King got hurt, so he kind of took over for him. You know, Nathaniel Bell's a pretty good receiver. You know, he's like second in the AAC in yards. Like, I could just keep going. You talked about McCaskill, 603 yards as a freshman. He's got 12 touchdowns already. Uh, they have um, their punt and kick returner is incredibly good. Um, blanking on his first name, his last name's Jones, Marcus Jones. He's a cornerback, wide receiver, running back, kick returner. He's got four kick return touchdowns this year, two on punts, two on kickoffs. He plays everywhere. He's got two interceptions as a corner. He's another potential NFL guy. I mean, like Houston's got like playmakers like all over the place, offense, defense, their offensive line has played well this year. It's like hard to like name stats about offensive linemen, but like they're good. Uh, they've been good this year. They're a really good football team. Uh, they're eight and one for a reason. They rattle off eight straight wins for a reason. Temple might lose this game by like 60 points. Like <laughs> I would not be surprised if like Marcus Jones returns like a punt and a kick for a touchdown. Like that that's kind of what I'm expecting this week. Uh this is a good football team. They're playing their best football of the season. NFL athletes all over the board. They're good. Temple is not. I, I don't I don't really know what else to say about it, honestly. I mean, interestingly enough, they 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 needed overtime to beat ECU. Uh, they were in a shootout with SMU, who's also good, 44-37 two weeks ago. Um, and then we're in a shootout, another shootout with USF, 54-42. If you're looking at some of their previous games and Temple's playing anywhere close to decent football, you might say to yourself, all right, well, they've been giving up some points and they haven't been necessarily winning convincingly uh, for as much talent as they have. Again, they, they lost... They lost 38 to 21 to Texas Tech in the opener. As Dante said, they've 
they've they've won ever since. You know, they they beat Rice, they beat Grambling, not really tested there. Um, beat Navy twenty eight to twenty, so uh, blew out Tulsa. But they've been they've been involved in some close games. But again, as we're as we're scouting Temple, and we're scouting Houston. You know, if, if this is the Temple of two seasons ago, you'd say, all right, they've got a shot. But you know, because Houston does, you know, they, they've again they haven't dominated in some of these games. But there's things are just so bad for Temple right now that I just can't see any way they win this game. Yeah. Houston has 33 sacks, which is insane considering Temple has 11. Mm -hmm. Um, The only reason they lost to Texas tech in Northern nine though right now is because they threw four picks. Um, If they're more conservative with the ball there, they probably win that they're nine and oh, and maybe they're in the conversation for something. Um, Teams don't really run against them. Well, Uh, a lot of that might be because, you know, you get into shootouts and you have to throw the ball, but even when teams try to run the ball against them, they don't run well. Like Tulsa ran the ball 28 times for 31 yards. Uh, Tulane 38 times for 94 yards. They're only giving up 73 rushing yards a game over their last half of the season, last five games. So that tells you that like you can kind of pass against Texas Tech, but if it's Justin Lynch back there and you don't have Dwan Mathis and you kind of eliminated that deep football altogether, that sets itself up for some bad situations. This isn't a team that you can really go three and out against, and Temple has shown a proficiency at going three and out in games like this. So uh, that's one thing to hang your hat on. Um, yeah, I agree with Dante. I don't know if it's going to be 60 points, but this is going to be a very similar game to me as the last three weeks where you look up, you go, they lost by 40 some points and they were never really in this. And the sideline demeanor is going to be interesting because to be honest, I don't expect it to be a huge crowd, but I do expect the crowd to be there to not be the most, uh, home field advantage. I feel like they might be a 12th man for Houston at times. So it'll be interesting. All right, prediction time. What do you have? 54 to 7. And 56 10. <laughs> I'll uh I'll do 48 to 3. Um, hey, Dante's with- an optimist. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sticking with the three. No, no touchdowns. This is I mean, we going back to the ECU game and this is yet another week where they needed a field goal to avoid getting shut out. Like it's just for the first time since 2007. And we've had that conversation three times in the last four weeks. Like yeah. it just keeps happening. I just, it blows my mind that there hasn't been like any change whatsoever. So did you guys expect it to be this? We, we talked obviously about this being a critical season. They're coming off one and six COVID injuries, mm-hmm. all that stuff. And you say, okay, maybe things are better this season. Did you guys expect it to be this bad? No, I thought they were going no, to a bowl a month ago. Not. Like when they beat Memphis, I thought they'd be. I thought they'd find a way to get bowl eligible. I thought they'd beat USF. The the writing was on the wall with me when you had 15 days to prepare for South Florida, and you looked worse than you had at all this season. Like it, like it, it's completely justifiable to me, or at least understandable to me, when you get blown out by Cincinnati. Cincinnati blows a lot of teams out. They're one of the best teams in the nation. They shouldn't be number five in the college football playoff rankings. They should be in the playoffs right now. When you go against a team in USF, who is also their coaching staff is going to get fired. Like they are such a bad program that they are going to have to wipe house and they dominate you. And you had two weeks to prepare for that. It was the writing on the wall at that point. Mm-hmm. But no, to answer your initial question, no, I thought they'd find a way to squeak out five, seven, five, six wins and go from there. And then you build for 2022. Now I think you're bringing in the bulldozer and you're pretty much having to overhaul the program. I agree. And like, I I never thought that this was going to be a good football team, but I thought they'd be like average. 
Like this struck me as an average football team coming into the year, five, seven win club. Uh, maybe you make a bowl game, maybe you don't, but this was for me at least like very much a building year, right? Where it's like, okay, next year's the year, right? The young guys have had, you know, a couple of years to develop, you know, you get Mathis in the new system. Hopefully, you know, he has a decent year. He has a, you know, a jump year, right? You always look for those jump years and quarterbacks. That's what I kind of thought was going to happen. And obviously it has not gone that way. I agree with Kyle. I think the, I think the bulldozer is making a left-hand turn on a North broad street right now. It's my favorite quote from major league when they're getting bad. He goes, it's over. Bring the bulldozers in. Let's turn this place into a parking lot. Just wipe it all out. Start anew. Obviously there's some building blocks here. Hopefully they're still there. If this continues to stretch out, but. Basically how Randy quite talks in real life now, pretty much. If you can get him on the record, he's out living in people's houses somewhere in New Mexico. <laughs> Actually, I think he's banned from the U.S. Now. I don't know where he's at. Hmm. That's the dream to be banned from an entire country. <laughs> <laughs> like he did something so like ridiculous. That, like you know what? Done. <laughs> you can't come back. Still brilliant in Christmas Vacation, which I will watch at least thirty times over the next month or so. Well, we're already getting Christmas decorations up inside the gal's house, so might Are you be happy more about than that more. or no. I'm not happy about most things, John. <laughs> no, my whole thing with this is in general, I tend to be like, well, you got to give Thanksgiving its due, right? Like you got to like wait till Thanksgiving and then do whatever the hell you want after that. My wife just completely disagrees with that. It's a season. It's not a day. And then here Which we go. That's how I feel. Do you have Christmas decorations up right now? Uh, not yet. We've been listening to some, to some Christmas music here and there, right. watching a couple of Christmas movies. Watch White Christmas already. Watch It's a Wonderful Life. I haven't done anything like that, um, but no, we do have like we have we have crap in my house. <laughs> which everything Jordan thinks everything's a toy now. So you pick that up, and he's playing with this. I'm like, where the hell did you get a stuffed Christmas tree? Oh, that's supposed to be a decoration. And then... Let him be him. Let Jordan be Jordan. Peacock, yeah, let him fly. <laughs> well, uh, as we mentioned at the outset of the podcast, Sam Cohn has our report on your Temple Owls who opened up their season, their basketball season at the Leah Chorus Center Wednesday night. Here's Sam with the report on what happened with your Owls in the opener. So Temple picked up its first win of the season uh, opening night against Maryland Eastern Shore, 72-49, but it did not come without a few bumps and bruises along the way. Uh, Predominantly Temple's slow start. Uh, They really weren't able to get much going offensively. Thankfully for them, the Hawks couldn't really do – were kind of in the same boat. They, neither team shot the ball very well to start the game. Um, Temple had jumped out to uh, what at most was a 12-point lead with up 24-12 with about four minutes left uh, in the first half. And then Maryland Eastern Shore's late first half run knocked down a couple threes and were able to cut the cut the deficit to just once. Temple goes into the first half locker room with, with a one-point lead and – not a whole lot to hang their hat on. I mean, the offensively, they were able to kind of find good looks early, but nothing was really falling for them. And defensively, Maryland Eastern Shore was getting a lot of a lot of shot opportunities. Uh, again, in a similar boat where they weren't always falling. So it was it was almost a game. It's as basketball always is a game of runs. Where the end of the first half was a, was a nice uh, was a run from was a run from Maryland Eastern Shore who cut again cut the deficit before the half and then the second half was was pretty much all temple it seemed they they found their footing a lot better kind of at both ends of the floor a couple performances that really stood out um obviously Zach Hicks who you know his first touch of a ball in a live game uh came in it came in the right corner and Jeremiah Williams fed him a, a bullet of a pass that went right through his hands and ended up in the stands 
that was the first time Zach Hicks had touched a, touched a basketball in a live game. And then, uh, you know, just I think it was his next shift in minutes later, he knocks down his first two, uh, first two three-point attempts, misses the next one, and knocks down the next one. But that was really the turning point of this game was uh, it was a relatively close game about midway through the second half. And Zach Hicks started to knock. Zach Hicks knocks down two in a row. Caleb Battle gets one, and Temple starts to put together a little bit of a run. And that was a run that they turned into a win. Uh, again, it was seventy-two forty-nine was the final score. Temple was led by Caleb Battle, who had twenty-two points. Damian Dunn chipped in eighteen. The two of them were really the spark plug offensively. Caleb didn't necessarily get going until the second half. He finished with three threes, three of seven uh, from three-point land. Damian Dunn was, you know, the one that really got things going for them offensively early. A guy that last year was known as, or Aaron McKee had said that he was the kind of guy that could get them a bucket in a drought. That's pretty much what he did tonight. When no one else could really get going offensively, Damian Dunn was that guy. Uh, Beyond Zach Hicks, the other two that, uh, the other two Temple players that made their debuts were, uh, in a way, Sage Tolbert, who had only played eight minutes uh, all of last season. So Sage Tolbert got the start tonight and he didn't do much offensively, but he hauled in four rebounds. He played 30 minutes. Um, he had two blocks. He was, he was good, but he didn't show, I, I don't think he necessarily showed anything that was, uh, that was really definitive of his game. Um, he proved to be a guy that can bully down low. He proved to be a guy that can that can get rebounds, but uh, offensively he wasn't able to uh, to really establish himself or or create anything. So I don't think we learned a whole lot about Sage Tolbert's game, whether that was just the first game or or what it, or what kind of um, what that what he looks like moving forward. And then Jaleel White, who only played about 13 minutes, I think it was. Um, he had a couple nice plays, but another guy that didn't necessarily do anything in you know crazy offensively. I think he had one three point attempt. It didn't fall defensively. He showed that he showed that defensive prowess that we've heard so much about um, pressing guys up. You know, two thirds of the way of the floor um, had a couple nice blocks. One that was called back for a foul, but you know just kind of showed his athletic prowess, his his ability to defend multiple positions. Um, so, you know, those were the three guys that we really saw debuts from. I think as expected, Caleb Battle and Damian Dunn were leading the way offensively. Jeremiah Williams only played 26 minutes. There was kind of a blip in the second half where, you know, he was off the floor for a while. It looked like he was stretching on the side. So maybe pulled something minor, but he was okay the rest of the way. So I don't anticipate that was anything uh, anything noteworthy. Another interesting player uh, or performance, I guess, that we saw tonight was from Ty Strickland, um, who Played pretty sparingly last year, came into the season after having shoulder surgery and uh, sort of got squeezed out of the lineup for a lot of last season just because he wasn't totally there. Said post game that um, he felt like, you know, mentally he wasn't necessarily there the whole way last season. Uh, and the, the, he feels a lot more confident in his ability in his game this year. Uh, Ty Strickland poured in 10 points, four or five shooting, two for three from the stripe. He, he only played nine minutes, but made the most of those nine minutes. So Ty Strickland, definitely a name to keep to keep an eye out for. If he can be a guy that can give Jeremiah Williams or give Caleb Battle or Damian Dunn a blow offensively in, or in, and defensively in that backcourt, then uh, he, he could be a really interesting piece for this Temple team. All in all, again, uh, this was not a great first half from Temple. A lot of first-game jitters. Aaron McKee said he chalked it up to almost an out-of-body experience for a lot of these guys in their first game. Uh, but a second half where they really found their footing – and uh, and then they were able to to really put their foot on the gas against this uh, Maryland Eastern Shore team. So uh, overall, it's it's a win if you're Temple, you're happy with. I think you're obviously much happier with the way they responded to adversity. Um, 
but a win is a win on opening night. Again, Temple 72-49. They'll take on uh, USC, University of so- uh, Southern California this Saturday after, which I'm sure uh, the guys on the pod have mentioned that will be after the Temple football game Saturday at noon. So a, a Temple-packed Saturday this weekend. Um, and Temple have, again, USC that night, and then the, they'll have nearly a week off before they, they head south for the Charleston Classic uh, face Clemson on opening day. Shout out to Sam Newman, who will be I think we'll be there covering Clemson. So one to know for Temple and we'll, uh, we'll see the floor again on Saturday. All right. Thanks to Sam. We'll of course have more coverage in the coming week. Temple plays USC Saturday night. Kyle and I will be there. Uh, and Kyle, as he mentioned, will nobly be working the doubleheader on Saturday. So I don't even know if I'm going to be there. You ignored my text this morning. <laughs> What's that? I asked you, Hey, do I need to do anything for the USC game on Saturday? No response. <laughs> ah, I took care of it. Oh, good. I will be there, man. Yes. I'll be in the, I go, I guess I guess I'll do the cheesesteak without the roll for your football. And then I guess I'll do a little uh, Philly style pizza. Wrap up my day. You'll think you'll make it home safely after that. Oh yeah. Bowels of steel. (laughs) All right. Let's uh, let's go to the mailbag. Uh, A lot of fun questions this week. Some from Twitter, some from the message boards. We'll start with the message boards. This comes from the screen name JHG722, a longtime Scoop subscriber. JHG722 asks, what's the least enjoyable Temple football game you've ever watched? Uh, Can we go with this past Saturday? Can we go with the next one? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I will say this, honestly, and I I would say, and I'm not saying it to pile on, I, I think some of them have been this year. Um, last year was interesting and not in a good way. The, the season before they were competitive, they were pretty good. And every previous, you know, uh, coaching tenure, whether it was Jeff Collins, whether it was Matt rule, it was even Steve Adazio, Al Golden, there was, and I'm not saying those guys are perfect, but there was, there was a plan. There was some sort of upward trajectory. Uh, I have felt over the last several weeks, like I'm watching pre 2006 temple football, no identity, uh, like, like Kyle said earlier in the pod, as soon as something goes wrong, boom, it's done. And so much, so much of what's been built up with the culture over the last several years is teaching this team how to win, overcoming sudden change, because it was, it was a huge, huge overhaul when Al Golden took over. He got them to a certain point and then Matt had to build them back up again. And it, every coach has kind of dealt with that, but I've just never, I, it's it's been a long time since I've seen it this bad. So uh, I honestly would go with several of the games from from this season. Uh, you know, I just I've never looked at the program this flatly as I have recently, where they're just not doing anything well in, in any phase of the game. I have two like actual answers. Um, one is that UConn game on Tuesday during a hurricane, where they ended up losing on like a late Donald Brown like Brown, touchdown. Yeah. Yeah. That was just like disaster. Cause like I'm standing in like a hurricane for four hours. Um, and then a game from Jeff Collins this first year, when they go down to South Florida and they lost 43 to seven, they only had like 70 yards of offense. And the only score came from a Jacob Martin sack uh, strip, strip sack. That was a pretty awful game too. And kind of showed you like, Hey, yeah, you still got a lot of uh, growth to go before you can compete with these guys. The difference is the next year, they figure things out and they beat South Florida and they kind of, and they beat, they go to a, with a good central Florida team. Those are the two games that kind of stick out to me. It's really bad. Dante? 
Uh, mine, I have a much smaller scope of, of Temple football than you guys do. Mine is uh, the night game against UCF at home, like two years ago. Uh, they lost. That wasn't that bad of a game, but I wasn't feeling well that morning, and I like toughed it out to go to that night game at Lincoln Financial <laughs> Field. And they were they got blown. They showed up to that game with no plan for the RPO, and UCF went like I think they won it like sixty three to twenty, and I was like really i was supremely annoyed 63 to 21 it was 28 21 at halftime yeah <laughs> and then yeah. 35 like straight a, points yeah it was like a brutal second half i was like in a foul mood because i was sick um and i and so that that is like a very stale memory for me but like honestly i agree with john like again i've only had like four years of temple football to like really go off of uh but like this year is just like it's just boring. Like, and like, I, I, like I'm a journalist, like maybe I'm not supposed to say that or whatever, but like, it's boring. Like, it's just not like entertaining to watch. Like I'm not a temple fan. I don't care if they win or lose, but I, you know, watching good football is enjoyable. Covering good football is enjoyable. This is just like, you know, every drive is inside zone to Edward Sadie for two yards and then two incompletions or one of them's a, jet motion pass and Jaden blue gets tackled a yard past the line of scrimmage. And then they punt and it's like third and eight. And I like, it's so boring. So I, for me, it'd be this year, but like the UCF one from two years ago stands out because I was super, super sick for that game. And then they gave up like 35 straight points in the second half. And I was like really annoyed. Yeah. I mean, and even with the, the games pre 2006, 2005 and, when they were in the big East before that, even if they were getting their barn doors blown off on certain occasions, you could say, Oh, wow, there's Frank Gore. There's Andre Johnson. There's Michael Vick. You know, you'd see some really good players. Not that you're not seeing good players in the American, but you'd say, wow, okay. I'm seeing football at a very high level. I mean, Frank Gore, the boxer. Yes. (laughs) He used to play football. Yeah. Most certainly beat the crap out of Jerron Williams. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would say, I mean, if you wanted me to get specific and I can't even really say it was, I mean, it was still an interesting game to cover. I mean, the, it was more so the, 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 the game and the trip. I mean, going up to cover that Temple Buffalo game in, in 2008 when they, you know, the, the Drew Willie to name and Roosevelt, uh, Hail Mary, and then the, the ensuing drive home, just driving down from Western New York in, in a rainstorm uh, certainly was not fun, but even that, wait, wait, I, I need to change my answer to the Buffalo game that I drove to two years ago. Oh, yeah. We went up there for eight hours. Jared Patterson ran for like five billion yards. And then and we didn't Rod get Carey, yeah, Rod Carey did not give us players after the game. And I was like supremely annoyed about that, too, because mm-hmm. I, like we had just driven all the way up to Buffalo and I can't even get player interviews like that, that, yeah, no, that's my answer. I forgot about that. I was at a wedding on Long Island and it had like nine vodka diets. So I was having a great day. <laughs> you guys were having a horrible day. Yeah. <laughs> all righty then. Um, next question. Nine vodka diets. Wow. Um, next question. You ever, you ever have that realization when you realize you're the drunkest one at the wedding? I think I had the realization that day. How <laughs> so Reel this back. It was like a friend of Meg's from high school. I mean, how big? Like 200 people. Oh, it was like a a standard, like 150, 160 people. But you still got to realize at one point, you're like, let's just tone this down. (laughs) (laughs) Watch that Temple Buffalo game from the bar at the cocktail hour on like a little like 20 inch TV. I remember I had to ask the person to put it on. I was like, what am I doing with my life? Like, why am I? Yeah, put that Temple game on during a cocktail hour. Can you tell? Can you tell Dante your story about you and Meg being at Fox and Hound, and 
you thought that somebody recognized you? So we're at Fox and Hound. Megan and I used to go to Fox and Hound a lot because we lived near Fox and Hound before it shut down. They used to have a thing called Two Dollar Tuesdays, where every beer was two dollars regardless. So you could get like Mad Elves, and these are nine and a half, eleven percent beers for two dollars. So we go there one day. I think something had just happened. Like I was on some radio spot or some TV spot or something. Go to Fox and Hound, sit down at the bar, uh, enjoying myself. A girl comes up to me and taps me on the shoulder and says, "Are you Kyle?" And I was like, "Oh, somebody saw my TV spot." Yeah, yeah, I'm Kyle Gauss. Like, well, she's like, you dropped your wallet. Here's your ID. Like, she just found my wallet on the ground and was like, here's your driver's license. This is why I'm asking your name. And in my mind, I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, my bad. <laughs> Another round of Mad you Like, why did you think somebody recognized yeah, you? Yeah, well, my wife is not a, she's not going to mix words with that. <laughs> or mince words? Mince words? Mince, mince words. words. She's not going to mince words. So she was pretty, pretty straightforward. Thank you for bringing up that memory, John. No problem. No problem. Uh, next question here from the message board comes from Diamond and Broad. It's the screen name. Uh, question number one is Carrie's buyout based on the number of years left on his contract, or is it prorated by games coached? In other words, are they not firing him now because the buyout goes down after he coaches his last game this year? I to answer your question, Diamond and Broad, but I, without having seen his actual contract, I could not give you a precise, precise answer on that i've been told by a couple sources that you know if it, if it were to, to finish out the rest of the season uh he would be owed a certain percentage of what's left on his contract so i've heard a couple of different numbers couldn't tell you for sure if it's prorated by by games coached uh the second part of diamond abroad I'm, 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 i've been waving my hands for five seconds so I, I can't talk about i can't talk uh, exactly about this contract but standardly even to the point where when you look at Rod Carey's contract at NIU, like his actual contract, normally it's not by game. Normally there's like a set date where it's like, right. okay, this is considered like the end first. of year one of the contract. Now it's year two. The question becomes, which I really don't think this is the case, at NIU, that was the end of the fiscal year. So like July 1 would be when his buyout would go down. At Temple, I tend to think it's January 1. But yeah, like I said, Temple is a state-affiliated university. These things do not have to be public information. So... We're just guessing at this point. Yeah. Uh, second part of that Formed question guessing. is uh, assuming Carrie gets fired, uh, is the team the new coach would take over next year, assuming that team is who was on the roster today, be better or worse than the one rule took over? I like this question. How much of a, re- how much of a rebuild is this? This is a good question. Kyle, what do you think? Then Dante, I'll go to you. Uh, I think it really depends on what the next two months look like, right? I mean, when you look at what the roster that uh, Matt Rule took over, a lot of those contributors and the people that you kind of looked at as bright spots in that 2013 team weren't committed to Temple until after he took over. P.J. Walker, Jahad Thomas, Deion Dawkins, um, which was... Uh, Julian Taylor. Was Jacob, Jacob Martin wasn't part of that class. I think he was the next one. But they basically they brought in all these future NFL guys during that time. Um, there were some guys like Tavon Young was on that 2012 team. Tyler Maddox-Cavage was on that 2012 team. Nate D. Smith, who's probably an underrated defensive end slash linebacker in the Temple, was on that team. But I think right now, like if you compared what I think the roster is going to look like December 1 of this year versus what it looked like December 1 of 2011 or 2012, sorry, um, it's probably a little better. The question, the difference is that Matt Rule really came in and restacked that roster in those six to eight weeks. So it'll be curious to whoever the next new guy is who coach, I don't know, coach Sam Cohn comes in and brings in in the next two months would be the difference to my question. But I mean, I think there's building blocks on this team. I really do. Like, 
I think I think on defense, like you have a number of guys that have played a lot on safety that are going to end up being like decent guys here if they stay. Defensive line still needs to be fixed. Offense, I think there's still good receivers coming back. It's just a matter of can you supplement the right type of guys? Can you bring in the right coaching staff? Dante, what do you think? I won't speak on whether or not this is a better roster than the one Matt Rule inherited. I didn't cover that team. I was about 12 years old when that happened. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, I won't speak on that. I will speak to the like the rebuild part. I think regardless of what happens, I think this is going to be a multi-year rebuild only because my assumption is that the coach that comes in is going to want to reset the culture here and we can you know talk about resetting that culture back to what it was when Matt Rule and maybe that's a little bit easier than you know going back you know completely against the grain to what this program has never been so maybe it doesn't take too long but my guess is that if Rod leaves I think a lot of players are going to transfer regardless right I think we'll see different guys transfer if Rod stays versus leaves but I still think that we'll see uh, players leave some of those younger players so I think it's going to be a multi-year rebuild. And like, honestly, I think it should be a multi-year rebuild. I I think that that is the way to go. I I think you should, whoever the new head coach is should get two years to kind of, you know, set this place back on the right track because like things have spiraled, you know, we we all said it like way further out out of line than we thought they were going to. Uh, And it just doesn't seem like the program is embracing what made it, better that when rule was here even jeff collins to a certain extent uh with you know what some of the things that al golden implemented too like it just seems like they've gotten so far away from what made temple successful that it's going to take a couple years to correct that course like i don't think it's even if they hire someone off the matt rule coaching tree like i I don't think it's just gonna they're just gonna come in and they're gonna snap their fingers and everything here is fixed so i think regardless it's gonna be a multi-year rebuild um Maybe it'll be easier if they bring in a Matt Rule guy and then they kind of have that, you know, maybe it's an easier shift. I don't know, but I think it's at least going to be two years no matter what. But... I think if it's a Matt Rule guy and they're anything like Matt Rule, uh, the, the portal is what makes this a tricky conversation. I think I, I don't think that any coach who comes in, if there is indeed a change, that any coach will come in and probably try to look for some help in the portal. But you know, if they're anything like Matt Rule, yeah, they, they probably don't want to cut corners on this. Again, they're they're going to need time to evaluate the current roster and the what the six verbal commits they have. So they're not looking at a, a huge list and six is a slim list at, at this point as we enter mid-November, to say the least. You know, they're probably going to look at the roster and they probably aren't going to want to cut corners. They're going to say, do I have anything I like on the offensive line? Do I have anything I like in this backfield? How good to me is Jose Barbone, Jordan Smith? Can I work with, you know, Dwan Mathis and stuff like that? But yeah, I agree with you. If it's anyone from from the rule coaching tree, they're probably going to say, hey, I want to, I saw how Matt built this. I saw how he, he rebuilt things at Baylor. I see what he's doing with the Panthers right now. You know, not to say the Panthers are playing well right now, but you know, they're, if, if, if Matt rebuilds things with the Panthers, it's not going to, certainly not happening overnight. Yeah, I think it would be, you know, a two to three year journey, so to speak, on this. So real quick, uh, I want to talk about those six verbal commits. This is kind of weird. If anybody says plugged in, if you're paying attention to recruiting, I think it's become painfully obvious that they haven't offered a high school kid in a month and they're only offering JUCO and grad transfers, which one reeks of desperation, uh, but two is not a good sign for the future of the program. Yeah, I mean, and if you follow too, if you follow our recruiting coverage and, and, and Caden Steele's been doing a lot of stories for us. 
a lot of 2023 and 24 kids who have been offered by, by Preston Brown. I'm not saying that, that the only kids that have been offered are the ones that Caden's doing stories on, but we're not seeing much in the way of, of guys from, from this class. And, uh, right. you know, they lost one already, which is, which again, that, that happens with, with every coaching regime, but I agree with Kyle on that one. Uh, next one here from what, what to use the screen name over under for games before there's a potential fire McKee thread on the message board. Uh, I assume this is primarily tongue in cheek, but, uh, if they lose to USC and then maybe they lose to Clemson and I'm sure somebody will post it, but mm-hmm. I'm, uh, we talked about this a little bit last week, uh, last week, I'm relatively optimistic about the simple basketball team. I feel a lot more optimistic about the simple basketball team than I do the simple football team. Um, and the first third or first half of the schedule is pretty easy for Temple. So mm. it wouldn't surprise me if they get off to a hot start. But uh, yeah. to answer this question, it could be one and a half. It could be two games in that they, all, that they start a fire. Yeah, and just a, a, an editorial note here. We're recording, we're recording this portion of the pod, the mailbag, before before Wednesday night's game against Maryland Eastern Shore. But uh, If they somehow lost last night? When you listen to this, then maybe it already happened. Yeah. <laughs> maybe somebody already posted that thread. Yeah, yeah. good point. Uh, next question here comes from the screen name E. Cheney. On the message board, assuming Kerry is fired, which I will have to see to believe, if the players knew right now, would that slow down the transfer train out of Temple, or does it even matter at this point? Here's kind of what I've gathered from talking to a couple of people is, first of all, I don't think there's a transfer train yet. Like, there's been two guys, right? There's been Nick Bags and there's been Jaden Blue, the people that were actually playing the transferred. I think the longer this goes, the more it creeps into people's heads and the more that people are in people's ears. Like, they're either saying, like, oh, like, your coach is going to be gone in a couple weeks anyway. Why would you stick around? Versus I think if you do this sooner than later, I think people – like, look, there's a reason these kids committed to Temple, right? They wanted to come to Temple University or it was the best option for them. I think if you say like, hey, there is going to be a coaching change that buys you a little bit of grace period for a lot of these kids where they're going to say, oh, look, I'm at least like willing to stick around to see who you hire. Because, hey, maybe they have a favorite when they were being recruited. Maybe they're being recruited by old Mrs. Blah, blah, blah coach. And they really liked him. And, oh, maybe there's a possibility that guy becomes a coach. I think it buys you some time. But if you just keep living in this no man's land of is he going to get fired? Is he going to stay? Then that doesn't help anybody. The people that want Rod Carey to stay are going to be like, well, maybe I should get out of here before he gets fired. The people that don't want Rod Carey to stay say, maybe I should get out of here just in case that he does stay. So like, I think it's just worse of both worlds. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with Kyle. I think it's going to be, you know, some guys are going to leave either way. I mean, every time a program changes head coaches, guys transfer like regardless of the optics of, you know, how long that coach was there, how long it drug out. So there, I, I would imagine that there's going to be a air quotes transfer train, uh, no matter what happens here. It's just which guys are leaving is the only thing that's going to change, at least in my opinion. Real quick. I think the worst thing they could do is be like, okay, if we wait till January one, that saves us 1.2 million or whatever, we should wait for that. And during that time, there was a mass exodus and now you're down to 50 scholarship guys and you bring in a new guy who can only bring in 32 players. And all of a sudden he's like, well, crap, I'm now I'm playing with a shorthanded deck, like the short deck. And you're even further behind the eight ball by just dragging it out to save a couple of pennies. I say save a couple of pennies if $1.2 million isn't a lot of money, but it's to save a couple of pennies. Yeah. Uh, next question in the mailbag here. 
Uh, switching gears, certainly the screen name is T.U. Alice Fan 2004. Who are your three favorite baseball players of all time? Kyle, your team just won the World Series. We'll start with you. That's a good question. I, I saw this beforehand. I should have had it. I'm going to say Freddie Freeman is one of them just because I, I kind of just obviously like you see it from the beginning of his career. There was a, a certain stretch of Braves fandom where you pretty much just had to look at bo- minor league box scores a lot. So that was part of it. I think Ronald Cunha is one of them. And just to go further back, I mean, I think Greg Maddox is the greatest pitcher of all time. So I will say Ronald Cunha, Freddie Freeman. And Greg Max. Chipper Jones is definitely up there. Like, that's like my childhood guy. But, like, I think Freddie's surpassed him. Greg Maddox, greatest pitcher of all time. Greg Maddox is the greatest pitcher of all time. Greatest pitcher. Not thrower. Pitcher of all time. All right. Dante? Man, it's a tough one. Um, for me, uh, growing up a Phillies fan, right? Like, 2008 is like the only thing to hang my hat on. Um, so Chase Utley, I played second base. Um, yeah, that was my guy. I love Chase Utley. Uh, the second one for me is actually a random one and it's Scott Rowland. Uh, and it's because the first baseball card I ever pulled out of a pack was Scott Rowland. And I was like five years old. So I just like instantly fell in love with him. Cause that was like the first thing that I was like ever presented. Um, so he's definitely up there for me. And I kind of like stuck with that. Pretty good ball player. Um, yeah, it's pretty, yeah, pretty yeah, not bad. <laughs> Uh, so I don't really have a third one. Like I'm kind of torn between like Roy holiday and like Cole Hamels, just like two, like very good Phillies pitchers that I kind of got to watch play, um, for a long time. But I don't know. Th- those are like the, the ones that come off, come off the top. All right. I'm going to go old school here because I'm older. So my first, I, I I'm with Dante. I don't know if I have a third, my true, Two like favorite players, like players that I would just follow their box scores, follow them are Pete Rose, who, uh, you know, I, again, I, I like number 14. Dude, I'm 45 years old. I liked Pete Rose growing up. Uh, wasn't around for like, you know, his, his, uh, it's not like I was watching him when he was his good years. <laughs> you weren't around yeah, for his no, good years. No, <laughs> like, no that's what but, I'm saying. It's, I don't care about the gambling thing. People gamble left and right. I'm banned. I'll give a crap about that. You missed his <laughs> good years. Like yeah. you were, you were aware of him when he was getting like, when he was in like 270. <laughs> yeah. I just, I remember just being a huge Pete Rose fan. Yes. He was on the tail end of his career with the Phillies. Uh, when he broke Ty Cobb's all-time hit record, he was with the Reds. But I remember and when- that's a good segue. John's second favorite guy, Ty Cobb. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I remember watching him years ago uh, down at Shad Park when hot dogs were a nickel and the boys were all fighting a war. Anyway, uh, no, um, <laughs> uh, no, um, Ty Cobb was not my second favorite player. My second favorite player, or also a favorite player. I loved Andy Vance like with the Pirates. So again, late 80s, early 90s, really liked him. Uh, would try to wear 14 and 18 in Little League. So uh, those guys obviously have long since retired. But yeah, I remember I remember my dad, when we moved to Downingtown from Pittsburgh, he had lost his job in Pittsburgh, had to pick up a second job and was working, uh, it was working at Wawa's second job to make some extra money. He had sliced his thumb on a uh on a, a slicer a lunch meat slicer poor guy had gone to the emergency room uh came back after working shift and, I, and i'm too young to appreciate like the the tough morning he had and he was okay and no i think he'd done that the weekend before and then he was just dead tired the weekend after and i'd heard that pete rose was going to be signing autographs at the fort val i'd like the, the valley forge expo center which no longer exists somewhere off the 202 and my mom was like your father's really tired. He needs a break. And I was like, dad, can we go Pete Rhodes signing autographs? He's like, yeah, we'll go. 
awesome father. Wanted to wanted to throw that in there for him. I, I don't know if I have a third. I mean, I, I could probably pick one of the one of the Phillies over the years. Like that place just become I, the casino. No, I, I want to say I could be dead wrong on this. I feel like it wasn't like if you're on two o two, it was kind of like off to your right. Like you're going westbound, or if you're going eastbound. Yes, if you're going eastbound, I feel like that Expo Center was off to your right. If, if we have some older listeners, maybe you can correct me on this. I feel like it's not where the casino is now, but I, I, I could be wrong. But so it's Pete Rose for me, Andy Vance. Like, I don't know if I truly have a third. Does Roy Hobbs count? Does not. <laughs> We're not going with make-believe players. Uh, all right. Uh, like the question there, though, uh, these next few questions here come from Twitter. The first one comes from Sean Ramsden. Uh, if you could only keep three traditional Thanksgiving Day dishes, including turkey, on your table, what would they be? Also, assuming there is a coaching change, how important or not important would it be for you to hire someone off the Matt Rule coaching tree? So we got some Thanksgiving and some football here. So first one, again, well, I'll read this again. If you could only keep three traditional Thanksgiving Day dishes, including turkey, on your table, what would they be? Stuffing, cranberry sauce, pie. Dun, dun, dun. I get stuffing now, year including, round. He's including, is, am I reading this right? He's saying. Yeah, I think he's saying turkey is an option. Yeah. Is what he's saying. And I'm telling you, turkey is like fourth on my list, fifth on my list. Okay. So I'm going stuffing, cranberry sauce. And I will say pumpkin pie because I only eat pumpkin pie during Thanksgiving. I'm not like, a, what, uh, Mel Kuyper eats pumpkin pie every day. I don't do that. Thanksgiving. Really? Pie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Wow, I didn't know that about, about Mel Kuyper. Dante? Man, this is tough. I'm not a big, like, turkey guy, so that def- definitely doesn't crack my list either. Um, I'm going to have mashed potatoes. Uh, my family always made, like, those biscuits for Thanksgiving, and that was, like, the only time that we ate them. So that's a traditional Thanksgiving food for me, so that's definitely up there. And then pie, definitely. I'm a big pie guy. Pie's great. I would go uh, stuffing. Definitely my, my mother-in-law's stuffing is incredible. Uh, pumpkin pie and probably like a, like a mashed, like sweet potato, something like that. But yeah, I, I like Turkey, but not enough. I just pile my plate with sides to the point where like, I'll get to Turkey and I'm like, all right, I'll take a few bites here. And then like I put Turkey on to like, to take away from the fact that I took 40% of the stuffing. I'm like, Oh, look guys, just let me hide this. over this Turkey. <laughs> I mean, do you guys have like for thanks? Do you have like like appetizers beforehand, or is it just straight up like? Yeah, we have like hors d'oeuvres beforehand usually. My my sister and my in laws and everything will do that. So that's like deviled eggs and gherkins and other, other random things. Gherkins, oh, oh, gherkin pickle. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Thanksgiving. Gherkins. Thanksgiving. <laughs> uh, Kyle still still uh, still ticked off about Graham's stuffing take from a couple years ago. Um, I don't recall. I don't, who are we talking about? Graham Foley. Uh, also, name, also, name doesn't ring a bell. <laughs> also, again, the second question here. Also, assuming there was a coaching change, how important or not important would it be to you to hire someone off the Matt Rule coaching tree? Kyle? That's a good question. And I feel like it's a question that uh, is in a lot of people's minds. Like, hey, do you limit yourself to that? I mean, I don't think you limit yourself to that coaching tree. I think there's a lot of good candidates from that coaching tree, um, including, I don't even know, like we've kind of just been talking a little bit. Like, I don't know if you go all the way down to somebody like Evan Cooper or see too young in his career. I think there's a lot of choices there. 
I don't think it has to be. I just think it has to be somebody that either understands why Matt Rule was successful here and why Al Golden was successful was successful here and realized that you really got to work at Temple for a lot of things to get things done. If it's somebody that understands that and kind of just tries to get back to that type of culture, then I don't think they I don't think it matters if they worked under Rule in the past. So no, I don't think it has to be. Would I? Probably. Does yeah. it have to be? No. Mm-hmm. I would. I don't know that I could say it any better than that, Dante. Yeah, same here. I, I just think you need to find someone who, who understands this area um, and this program and kind of how to be successful. It doesn't have to be a Matt Rule guy. That's just kind of the easiest um, tree to point to as far as finding somebody with those traits, I think. Real quick, I think it's also easier to sell a, like a high-quality Matt Rule candidate on Temple than it is to sell some random person on Temple. Like They know that, you, that there is a formula for success at Temple University. So like if they've seen it done or if it's somebody like Chris Wiesinghan, who's seen it done at two different regimes, like Jeff Collins was relatively successful. Matt Rule was very successful. Then it's easier to be like, Hey, you should come back and ignore the fact that we went three and nine and 30 of our guys left. Like there's the recipe here, as opposed to if I'm UCLA's defensive coordinator and you're offering me the job, I'm like, Jesus Christ, isn't went three and nine and 40 of your guys left. Like that's a, a huge undertaking. Maybe I'm not interested in that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I agree. Uh, next question here comes from uh, the screen of uh, the Twitter handle, Twitter handle at Temple Fan Al. <laughs> uh, John, Dante, Kyle, Sam, and Javon versus Temple's projected starting five. What is the final score and who is playing what? I didn't see this question. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I should get. Uh... Well, Javon's really tall. <laughs> he, he's our center. There, there's like, no doubt about that. Or like, do we like are, are we the temple of the last ten years where we're playing an undersized big, or do we just say, hey, let's play towards his skill set? Maybe he's better on the wing, and maybe he's better with the ball in his hand. Like, we don't have to limit him to center. Well, I'm just saying, if we roll out the starting lineup, we're gonna say he's the center. I mean, he, he can play. You know, if he plays on the wing, he plays on the wing. But for the for the purposes of this question, I feel like he's got to be the center. I think Sam Cohn's uh, the point guard. I think he's the ball in the hand. Like I want him kind of facilitating the offense. He's the only one that's like played high school basketball at like a relatively high level. So I would say Sam is the one I want to run the offense through. You want to run the offense through Sam? I think um, I think I'm the I think I'm the two guard. I do. I think I'm the I think I'm the two guard who's like, who's like a bit of like a three and D guy. I think I'm the more of like the blue collar guy. John's gonna be little too. Like hesitant to, I think my body craves contact. So I will say, I, I will say, I will say, I will be like when Nate Pierre or Nate Pierre Louis played like off the ball, and like you're like, oh, he's kind of just like a guard here. I'm kind of like that, like a much just, less successful version of that. You're just like a Tasmanian devil who just like tries to drive to the drive for like the for like if we're playing like a 40 minute game for like a good like 11 minutes, I am that guy, and then like I'm just like I'm bent down, like I'm just I'm gasping for air towards the end. <laughs> And just like doing like the old lay, like when they run by, like, oh no, please. <laughs> but for for 11 minutes, I'm your guy. Dante, this is also half court, right? I'm not doing full court. I got my knees aren't good enough for full court anymore. Are we, well, you didn't specify if this is half court or full court, but I mean, like, let's, does it What's the final score? We lose that game 140 to seven. Like, yeah. we get seven points. And like, when, and freshman year getting, of college, how are we getting, how are we getting seven points? We're just cherry picking. Like we're having somebody stay back 
And then like they're going to score a basket and then somebody's chucking it and I'm hoping I get an easy layup. Odds are I probably rim it out. I get really nervous. That's all of a sudden Jeremiah Williams is going to uh, block my, Where, like, my shot. Where like Arthur or Manuel Pomo comes in. You yeah. think you have like 40 feet of room and then they just come swooping and, in and you're like, how did that? And then like, they pin it up against the backboard <laughs> and then that's the end of that. But, like that's the only way you get any points is you just, you let them go and then you attempt threes and then you hope you don't get shot. Wait, so our starting five again is me, Dante, Kyle, Sam, and Javon. You guys are going to have to figure out which one amongst you is playing the four. Yeah. John is significantly bigger than me. So I, I feel like that is like, is yeah, you're, you're a couple inches taller than me. Dante, how tall are you? I'm like 5'9". Oh, I'm okay. Short. Maybe, Dante, yeah, maybe I'm, I'm playing the wing. Yeah, I think you're playing the wing. And by the way, I did play basketball in high school, Kyle. Excuse I said me. at a so high like, level. I was good. I was good. <laughs> I was good. I don't know about a high level. Do you have a max? Like... Do you have a max preps? No, definitely not. So <laughs> I, think, um, I think Sam has a max. Sam has a max. Yes, oh, Sam, I have no Sam doubt that Sam preps. is better than me. That, that North Chelmsford is Massachusetts. Sam Cone, let's see what them stats were, boy. Let's see what we got. Oh, there's no stats. North Chelmsford. We're definitely running the offense through Sam. I agree. Sam and that... Javon are our player coaches. Um. <laughs> Uh, we, we got to play. I mean, we're we're a, we're a, like yeah, positionless basketball. That's what we do. Yeah, yeah like Aaron McKee says, it's positionless basketball. It's twenty twenty one. Basketball. Yeah. Everyone's a wing. <laughs> the only way we win, <laughs> the only way we win, is if like there's no shot clock and we somehow manufacture the first basket. We somehow miraculously get a stop and then we just hold the ball for a long time. <laughs> And don't make a lot of friends out of that. A long time. <laughs> a long time. And even then, like, let's be honest with you, someone's, someone's picking the ball clean. So yeah. freshman, year of high, so freshman year of college, my roommates participated in some, like, three-on-three tournament. And they, they got to, like, the finals. And they went, it might have been 5 on 5 And they were going up against, like, dudes that were, like, like these guys could play, like, D2, D3 basketball. Like, they were far and away the better team. So going in, their mentality was we're going to get an early 2 nothing lead and there's no shot clock and we're just going to hold on to the ball for the next – 30 minutes and they get a seven nothing lead and they and they just abandon the entire plan. They's like, Nope, we're going to just actually try to play these guys. And they lost like 45 to seven. If they get up, so you get up early, you just hold on to the ball. People are throwing trash at you. You don't care. You just turtle. You just turtle and you hold on to the ball. People are too quick to change their plan. Once they get an early lead, early success ruined them. Hmm. How, what would your, I mean, who would you guard on that team? Yeah. Who can't shoot the most? I'm I'm guarding Emmanuel Akpomo. <laughs> well, he's not he's not in the starting he's, lineup. He's not pre- in their I'm guarding Jake Forrester. I'm guarding Jake Forrester. Like just like whatever. Like <laughs> I'm going to try to draw a charge. Don't we, Javon, don't we put Javon on on Jake or do we put Javon? So Temple's starting five is Jeremiah Williams, Damian Dunn, Caleb Battle, Sage nope. Tolbert, nope. And, and Jake Forrester. So nope. someone's got to guard Sage. Someone's got to guard. I'm guard Jake Forrester. We're freeing up Javon to, to run in transition. <laughs> it's not, I'm not, I'm not guarding somebody that's going to have like lateral movement or he's going to try to shoot over me. I just want like, you know what? Like I'm going to sit right here. This is my little area. I have a right to this area. I have a right to this area. My feet are planted. And I'll see what happens. <laughs> Dante just lost. I'm just like, I'm like talking to Jake. They're like, Jake, Jake, I have a right to this. This is my area. I'm quoting rules to him. And then he just dunks over. Maybe they're being coached by Jimmy. And we go over to Jimmy, like, Jimmy, listen. Like, Jimmy, like, just, you, like, just give me, like, can you put the kid in from, from uh, Owen J. Roberts? Like, please, like, 
Like, can you please start? Feel better than us. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> he was probably like a chess mod, like all conference guy. Yeah. Well, also, I'm like, I'm in the ice tub for three days after that game. Like, just like they're in the whirlpool with me. They're like, we're shut down. Like, I'm like, no, just just leave a light on. Like, I'm good in here for three days. Dante, could you score? Could you think you could get a basket in this game? A basket? Yes. I see. I want to say yes, but I know the answer is no. That, that's like I feel like I could hit a three pointer. Like I, I could shoot in high school. I wasn't good at much else, but like I could shoot. But like I, I feel like they block me. You know what I mean? Man, this. Yeah. If let's let's reframe the question. Instead of it being them now, it's us as grown men against Temple starting five when they were twelve years old. <laughs> so they're they're in seventh grade, and it's us grown men. Could we beat them? Mm. I think so. I, I guess so. I think so. Yeah. Like, if like there's if a, they're legitimately 12, I think we yeah. can do that. I think there's a yeah. difference. Like, I always tell the story when I was like 13, like, you know, you like you got a little hair on your chest, you're trying to like pop out a little bit. I think I like <laughs> got in my dad's face a little bit, and it was just like effortless that he just like was able to like dispose of me. I think as a grown man, I could just kind of like bully a 12 year old. Like I know this because like I did this over I did this over the summer. My 12 year old nephew beat me in basketball. I spent the entire summer being like, you know what? I'm gonna remember how to play basketball, and I just you just body them. You just play like you play bully ball. <laughs> Granted, my nephew is five seven, as opposed to I'm sure Jake Forster when he was twelve was six three. But I'm going to bully him. <laughs> wow. Well, we modified that question, so we beat a starting lineup of, of like if there was like a shrink ray that shrinked them back to when they were twelve years old. <laughs> Bodied. Twelve year old Jeremiah Williams could still be very good. Oh, I'm sure they're all really good. They're basketball players. Well, that's that's what's going to take for us to beat them. They're all they all have to be twelve. All right, the last question here, and we'll do another quick scan to see if we got any other questions here. Um, Twitter handle is at off the hook three. Who has also changed his Twitter name to Temple Tough Fire Rod Carry. If Temple B Ball makes the NCAA tournament this year, it will be because dot dot dot. It will if they make the tournament this year. It will be because of what. I, I feel like I'm sorry. I feel like we've asked this question before. It's my answer is still going to be the same because my opinion hasn't changed because they haven't played the game yet. Uh, Caleb Battle and Damian Dunn learn to coexist in the backcourt. Dante, oh, mine would be is they just find a way to incorporate some of their bench guards into productive minutes. Like I feel like they have a ton of guards. Aaron McKee has kind of set up the roster that way. Like it would be cool to see you know Jaleel White and Ty Strickland have like a legitimate impact off the bench. I think that would be huge for them getting to the tournament. Yeah, for me, I think when we, we I think we had a some variation of this question or, the, or this exact question a few weeks ago. Um, for me, I think it's that that you get that Jake Forrester is as improved as they believe him to be, and that you get some decent minutes out of Emmanuel Pomo. I, I think if they can have some sort of rebounding improvement, rim protecting improvement, I, I don't. I agree that guard play has to be great, you know, obviously, but. I don't necessarily worry about Caleb Battle taking a step, Damian Dunn taking a step, even Zach Hicks being a, a very competent shooter off the bench about Jeremiah Williams taking another step, excuse me, as your lead guard. But if, if Jake has gotten tougher and he's become a better defender, a better rebounder, and he, his skills have been honed uh, with the presence of someone like Akpomo, and, you know, Akpomo can come in and, and score a few points and grab a few rebounds, I think that makes a big um 
a big difference. Those three guys, now it sounds like I just keep adding on. Like really, for me, it's it's about Sage's development, Jake's development, and Akpomo's development. And if they can really make a difference against these bigger, more physical teams like a Houston, like a Cincinnati, and they are as good as they think they can be, then I think that's an X factor for them in getting to the tournament. So a last minute mailbag question from at Kyle Gauss. Uh, wizard <laughs> comes down, waves his wand and says, your eyes can only focus on one player during tonight's game. Who are you most looking forward to watching to see how they play in an actual real game? For me, it's Sage Tolbert. Mm-hmm. Like if Sage is like all of a sudden become like a starting guy and like you've only seen eight minutes of him when he was completely rusty in the conference tournament, that's the guy I'm going to be most focused on tonight. Mm-hmm. Or by the time that you listen to this, listeners, yesterday. Yesterday, Kyle watched a lot of Sage Tolbert. <laughs> Dante? I want to see Jaleel White, man. Everybody's talking him up. Like that's such like the low-hanging fruit answer, but like everyone's talking him up. Players talking him up. Coaches talking him up. Media's talking him up. Like I want to see Jaleel White. Like I, I'm, I'm like legitimately excited just to see what he's about. It seems like a fun player to watch, super energetic on defense. I like those guys because um, that was the only way I was getting on the court. So uh, I feel that. Um, so you're the defensive uh, stopper on our on our our team that- well, no 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 I, I i said defensive effort right there's a difference between being good at defense and and being willing to take four charges of guys who are significantly bigger than you so um i'm i'm excited to see Jaleel white i would say Jaleel's like 1a for me i agree with kyle i, I would want to see what you get out of sage tolbert if he not only if he just if he gives them some sort of presence from the get-go whether that's uh, keeping a possession alive by tapping a ball out or, you know, grabbing an offensive rebound, um, getting a stop. You know, there, there were times, again, we, we didn't get to see a ton of practice. We saw them scrimmage last week when they, they made practice open for media day. It looks like he can step out and shoot a little bit. I don't think he's going to be asked to take a ton of threes this season, but if he really gives you something out of the gate as someone who can lock down somebody, or like I said, create some sort of, some sort of energy at either end of the floor, then I just, I just wondered what that will be like, because again, I hate saying it, you know, in the past, guys like JP Mormon and Dre Perry were a little limited in that regard. Um, Jake didn't have a ton of help around him. That's not to say that Jake Forrester doesn't need to improve because he certainly does. But um, I agree with Kyle. For me, I think those are, those are two good answers. I think it's like Jake Forrester, excuse me, Sage Tolbert one and Jaleel White one a. So Kyle, do you have any more mailbag questions from yourself? What are you talking about? That was from at Kyle Gals. Huh. At Kyle underscore Gals. I'm at, at Kyle, Kyle Gals. At Lyle Gals. Yeah, that guy's a dick. <laughs> I have at Lyle Gals muted on Twitter. <laughs> Dante, do you have any alter egos on Twitter? Uh, no. If the if the Dolphins had been playing well, we would see a little bit more of Hollywood Dante. But um, that, <laughs> is that, that the one is, with the uh, deal with it sunglasses? Is that what yes, I saw? Yes, <laughs> that is that is the aggressively bad Photoshop that uh, you can also buy a shirt of on uh, Blue Chip Scouting <laughs> website. Uh, yeah, shame, shameless plug. Uh, my my our CEO definitely got me with that, and it, it like actually made me a couple bucks. So I'll take it, but. Um, Hollywood Dante is dead. The Dolphins killed him. So I, I don't know if we'll be seeing him anytime soon. I will say that like it, the Dolphins have made my life a lot better because like normally in like kind of like a throwaway season, I'm debating between like, do I want the Eagles to win games or like, do I want them to lose and get a better draft pick? They could do both now. They can win seven, eight games developed. And I still got that Dolphins pick to just be like a top five pick. So it's all going to be great. Dante, are you being a Blowfish fan? Have you been asked this question before? No, I have not. Are you serious? 
No, no He's, one has ever asked me if I've listened to Hootie and the Blowfish. When was the last time anybody asked anybody that question? <laughs> Why would they? 1996? I'm not you a big You think Woodstock 99 is going to be a good, like, good idea? Like, <laughs> nobody's just, asking that question. Relax. Let me let this let this develop. Like Rusted Root? <laughs> no, no, no. You know I don't like Hootie and the Blowfish. Do you think but... Atlantis is going to be able to lower top, jagged little pill? <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to let me speak? I mean, if you're going to find a way to, like, land this plane. <laughs> Only Want to Be With You has a famous Dolphins lyric. Are you familiar with it? I, I am not, no. Darius Rucker says, I'm such a baby because the Dolphins make me cry. Uh, well, I'm right there with him. Is he from South Carolina? Yeah, but somehow I guess he was a Dolphins fan. Or he pretended to be a Dolphins I, fan. I did know that Darius Rucker was a Dolphins fan. There you I, go. I was aware of that. Who else is there. another famous Dolphins fan? I feel like there's one other one. Josh Gad is a Dolphins fan. Yeah, it's not Josh, Josh Gad. It's not Josh Gad, but Josh Gad is a Dolphins fan. Daniel, Daniel Tosh, Tosh is, is also Daniel Tosh, Johnny fan. Depp. They say Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I guess that's just because of Miami, but mm. I don't know. They start the getting Rock into like... From, the Rock's from Lehigh Valley. Kind of. He like moved all over the place. And then he went to University of Miami. I'm pretty sure he planted roots there. Yeah, planted roots. roots. Anyway. And rocks plant roots. Took me, the uh, third article for this is famous Miami Dolphins fans. They do exist, right? <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Ouch. We've been heard enough already. I don't I don't need to And then the first photo like is a this is very much a 22 article because the first photo is a photo of uh, Ryan Tannehill's wife in like a provocative pose. So do better, the Finsider. <laughs> anyway. We're veering off track. Thanks for listening to the pod once again this week. We'll be back next week with uh, a recap of uh, most likely Temple's latest loss. This one to Houston, uh, some Temple hoops and more mailbag questions. And uh, again, thanks for all the mailbag questions. Thanks for tuning in and we'll talk to you next week.